So last week we started chapter four. Everybody kind of do this with me. Just kind of go like this. That's what chapter four is, okay? And, and I'm serious about that because your, your first seven letters are intense. They, they are Jesus Christ, and you see how they start off with his eyes are burning through you. His feet are like melting bronze, right? And when he speaks, he's saying to you, church of Jesus Christ, my church, these are the things I have for you, but this I have against you. So those first seven letters are really highly intense. By the time you get done with them, you feel like you've been through the ringer, right? And so John, as he's receiving these words, um, that's how he feels. I mean, John, his whole life has been about serving Jesus. His whole life is. Everything, everything that every thought he thinks is about what? How, how do we advance the gospel of Jesus Christ? So, so when Jesus is talking to him, he does, he's not just kind of listening to this stuff going, eh, yeah, the church in Pergamum needs a little help. Huh? Yeah. No, everything inside of him is like, we've got to get this word to the pastors of these churches because Jesus Christ is trying to do what? Strengthen the churches. So what happens is you get this first round, if you will, of seven thoughts to the church. And then you get chapter four. It's called an interlude or a breather. That, whew, this picture that you need to look at before we go on to the next cycle of seven things that I'm going to say to the church, all right? So chapter four, we started last, last week, uh, begins with this, this scene where this door is standing open uh, into heaven. And the first verse, the first voice, the trumpet voice of Jesus calls him to come up and he says, I'm going to show you what is about to take place, all right? So uh, last week we looked at kind of a cross-reference uh, in 2 Corinthians. Uh, what does it mean to, to go up into heaven and to be able to look at what's going on in the heavenly realms? Um, we see this from time to time in scriptures where, where a Paul is called up into the heavens and is able to see things in a way that we, we as human beings can, cannot you know, see them. We, can't, we don't have access to what heaven is like. I always warn people, when you're looking at these scenes... They're, they're, they're meant to be highly symbolic. They are. Okay? I, I tend to believe that even about what we call near-death near literature. I tend to believe that. Um, in other words, when I'm reading Peeper's story or the little boy's story, Heaven is for Real, I look at that stuff, and if somebody said to me, do you think that person actually went into heaven? Okay? I like to get out 2 Corinthians and just quote it. So remember what Paul said. Paul said, whether I was in the body or not, I don't know. Okay? Um, little boy dies, and he says, so I find myself in heaven. Okay, was he in his body? No, he says, I was out of my body, and I'm now with God. So when he writes his book, Heaven is for Real, he's describing in, in a beautiful way the things that he's seeing, people that he saw. All right? So is that exactly what heaven is going to be like? Well, if you read his book and then you read Peeper's book, they're different, right? There's a little difference between the two. And so if, if, this, if this kid died and he went to heaven and it looked like this, and this guy, he died and he went to heaven and it looked like this, and they don't really match up with each other, uh, what, what's going on? Well, what's going on is, is exactly what's going on here is, is John is being taken up into the heavenly realm. He's being shown, right, a picture, highly symbolic, of what's going on in heaven. 
And I believe a lot of that near-death near uh, experience literature is the same kind of thing, where a person literally sees, I mean, they're, they're seeing like you would see in a vision, uh, things that God wants them to see. Don't base your understanding of heaven upon those books that people write. That, that's not what they're for. They're meant, though, to say to us, is there a heaven? Absolutely. Is there a God? Absolutely. Do I doubt for one second that they were in his presence? Not for one second. I absolutely believe it. Okay, And that's where we find John, is he is in the presence of God. And he's being shown something very intentional. All right? So um, go to verse number two. As he looks, the first thing that he sees uh, as he gets up into heaven is a throne. And then one seated on the throne. And verse 3 says, And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Okay. Now, we, we kind of read that and we think of a crayon box, right? So John gets up there and we have a, we have a big old throne. Remember, every piece of this is meant to, to, to be part of a message that John is going to bring back to the church. Here's what that throne means. Who sits on a throne? King, right? So the first thing that he's being told is, all right, John, you just had this intense experience. You heard all these words from from Jesus. I'm going to get ready now to show you some things that are going to be hard, things that are going to happen on earth. And everything that I'm going to show you, you you think those letters were intense? Hang on to your horse because it's going to get more intense. So before I do that, I want, to, I, want to, I want to say something to you. There's a king on his throne. Nothing's going to happen in this earth that does not happen under the authority of that king. So when you're on earth and you see these horrible things happen, and there are some horrible things that are going to happen, and you're saying, God, how, what, what are you doing? Here's what God's answer to you is, I'm sitting on my throne. I'm completely in charge. I, I, I am authorizing what is happening, and, 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 and I will only let happen what I believe to be right and good for the church and the kingdom. All right? So that's the first thing that he sees. Now, the second thing that he sees are these beautiful colors. Uh, open your crayon box, and he says, I looked, and that one that was seated on the throne, he had the appearance, I saw something like jasper and carnelian. Okay, so we're going to have to petition the crayon company to add two new colors to the box, jasper and carnelian. What were these colors? Well, here's the best answer. We don't know. We don't know what jasper and carnelian looked like. We really don't. There are historians, uh, commentators who try to make a guess at what carnelian or jasper look like, but the, the absolute truth is we, we do not know what they look like, but we know, this we do know, we do know where they come from. And that's what's important. When I see the one seated on the throne and I see the jasper and I see the carnelian, there's a message there to me. Who wears jasper and carnelian? Well, the answer is back in the book of Exodus. Remember, these are Jewish ears that are hearing this. And so the minute that John says to them, the one seated on the throne has the appearance of jasper and carnelian, bam! Jews know it. They're like, oh, okay, I know who wears that. Exodus chapter 28. Just flip over there and you'll find these colors. Beginning verse 15, 
what is being described are the, the garments that God uh, is going to ask the, the priests, and in particular, the high priest, to wear as they carry out their, their role, their duty before him. And in verse number 15, you, you can see these colors, all right? So verse 15 says, you shall make a breastplate of judgment in skilled work. In the style of the ephod, remember the ephod um, is described a little bit earlier in, in this uh, story. And he says, you shall make it of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. And fine twine linen you shall make it. It shall be square and doubled, a span its length and a span its breadth. And you shall set in it four rows of stones. Okay. So when you looked at the when you looked at the high priest, what you would see is you would see a breastplate that had four different rows of stones in it. Okay. Uh, each of these row each of these rows had three stones. And so if you think about it. There are 12 tribes in Israel. So each of the stones represents, for the high priest, one of the tribes of Israel. So here's the message to the high priest. You, high priest, are serving, you're a servant to, the 12 tribes of Israel. Your role, the role that you are going to play, is the role of an intermediate, intermediary servant, right? You're not the king. You're the one who serves the king and in such a way that you bring the grace of God into the lives of the people who make up the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, notice, notice the stones. Okay? In the first row, sardius, topaz, carbuncle. In the second row, emerald, sapphire, diamond. Third row, jacinth, agate, amethyst. Fourth row, beryl, onyx, jasper. Okay? So um, when, you, when you hear that that picture that John is, is giving to, uh, or is being given by Jesus, and it tells him, you see this one seated on the throne, and he's wearing this jasper and carnelian. What he's seeing, what he's looking at is a picture of a king, of a king who is also a high priest. It tells you what kind of a king he is. Let me ask you this, in the history of Israel, in all the history of Israel, um, how many kings were also high priests? It's not how God set it up, right? The way God set it up is you're going to have a king and you're going to have a separate person as the high priest. But isn't there a time in the history of Israel where there was a king who also was a, a high priest? Just once. Only one time do you see it. You know where you see it? Book of Hebrews, chapter 7. Take a look at it with me. Now, Hebrews, chapter 7, is actually recalling this incident that took place years and years and years before this book was written. An incident that took place between Abraham and this person named Melchizedek, okay? And if you remember the story back in Genesis chapter 14, there's this scene in which this, this mysterious figure named Melchizedek shows up before Abraham, 
And this guy, Melchizedek, is, is both a king and a high priest. Well, who was he? Well, he shows up in Genesis chapter 14, and you hear nothing about him again until Hebrews chapter 7, and you get to read these words in Hebrews 7. It's kind of interesting. It says, for this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest, see that? King of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He is, that is Melchizedek, by translation of his name, the king of righteousness. That's kind of what Melchizedek means. Mel means king. Zadek means righteousness. So when Abraham, back in Genesis, meets this guy, he says, who are you? I am Melchizedek, Zadek. I'm the king of righteousness. Abraham goes, whoa, where did you come from? Well, keep reading. It says, he is also the king of Shalom, Salem. So I'm the king of righteousness, the king of Salem. Well, is Salem a place? So you get out your map, the map of, of Ur and Chaldea and the whole ancient part of, of, of Israel. Can you find Salem? Nope, doesn't exist. So here's Abraham going, wait, wait a minute. So you're the king of righteousness, and you're the king over Salem. Where is Salem? Well, it's not. It's not a place. It's a condition. Shalom, peace. I'm the king of righteousness who brings peace. Well, who are you? Well, look at this verse 3. It says, he is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. So who in the world has no beginning of days nor end of life? The king of righteousness, right? The one who comes to bring peace. And all the way back in the time of, of Abraham, in the book of Genesis, here shows up this Melchizedek who Abraham finally does what he bows down before him and he says, I give you my tithe. I worship you. And Melchizedek disappears. And he shows up again here in, in chapter 7 of, of Hebrews. And guess where else he shows up? Well, look at the end of it. It says, end of verse number 3 says, But resembling the Son of God, he continues as a priest forever. Guess who's sitting on the throne? The high priest. He is the king of righteousness who comes to bring peace. And he's the only king who is also a high priest. What, why is that significant? Okay, think about how these two words go together. King, high priest. Kings rule. And sometimes we have that picture in our mind. I'm the king. High priest, what? Serves. I'm a servant priest. I'm a servant to you. What kind of a king is our God? A servant king. And how does he act as our priest? He sends Jesus into the world in order to do what? To mediate our relationship with God. And so what he's being told, what John is being told is, the second that he looks, he says, okay, who I see is I see Jesus, our high priest, seated upon the throne. And he is going to serve the church how? In grace. He comes as a servant. The one who will sustain you. Here, here's really what is being said in this picture. The one who will sustain you, John, and sustain the church 
through all of the hard stuff that's getting ready to happen, is that king high priest. He will serve you through all of it. Now, sometimes our ears don't like to hear this, but I'm going I'm to translate that into as simple a language as I can. You and I are going to go through some hard, hard stuff in our lives. This world that we live in, as we start to see that next seven pieces, the scrolls broken open, you and I go, whoa, God, why would you let that hard stuff happen in this world? God says, because it's part of my plan to bring people into my kingdom. But, but, but Jesus, do we have to experience it? Do we have to live through it? Yes. Can't you just take us out of it? This is what kind of, this is what kind of disturbs me. A lot of Revelation books and classes try to do that. They will tell you, well, here's what's going to happen is we're going to have this rapture and God's going to suck all the Christians out so you don't have to go through this hard stuff. Guess what? That ain't in the book. The reality of it is Jesus Christ says, I will be on my throne and I will serve you throughout all of what's getting ready to happen, but it will be hard. How will we endure it? Through me. Put your trust in me. I will take you through it. And um, so what, what John is receiving is a picture that's really meant to do what? To comfort him. To say, I'm breathe, John. I'm going to show you some hard stuff. But remember, all of it comes under the authority of the one sitting on the throne. And the one sitting on the throne, he is your priest. He serves you through Jesus Christ. He serves you in a grace-filled way. All right, so that's the first image that John sees. Then he looks around and he sees some other things. He says, well, okay, but around this throne, there were 24 thrones, and seated on those thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. Who are they? All right, so... Around, around the, the throne are 24, are 24 other thrones, right? Um, who are these people on the 24 thrones? Well, if you take 24 and you divide it in two, what you end up with are 12 plus 12, all right? So the 24 thrones are meant to signify the... 12 tribes of Israel, and the 12 apostles, all right? Those, those two groups of people, the apostles and the tribes, are in turn meant to symbolize all of the people who lived in the Old Testament times and all of the people who lived in the New Testament times who came underneath the promise of God, who trusted in Jesus Christ, whether in the Old Testament era they trusted in, it's a question I get all the time. It's like, well, people lived in the Old Testament. They didn't trust in Jesus. Yes, they did. They didn't call him Jesus. What did they call him? Yeshua, Messiah. Did they trust in Jesus? Absolutely. You know what they really called him? In Greek, it would be spermata, seed, the seed of him. They trusted the promise of God. I don't know if you noticed this, but there was one other color actually multicolor that showed up when we looked at the one who was seated on the throne. 
Not only does he have the carnelian and the jasper, the stones of the high priest, but it says above him is what? A rainbow. Now, interesting. Um, Rainbow in Greek is the term iris, which if you think of your eye, is just round, right? And so literally translated, the Greeks, if you said to a Greek, I see your iris, you would say, I am seeing your halo. Do you have a halo? It depends on who we ask. Is that, is that what we're saying? Yeah. I still, I still remember this. I still remember this guy. He's, this was back when I was in seminary. He says, he says Luke, he says, I'm going to teach you a lesson here that will come in handy in your church. I said, okay. He says, when you're in your church, he says, uh, you know, don't, don't have people stand, don't have guests stand up. You know, he said, just let them sit. I'm like, what, why, why would you do that? He says, well, he says, I made a mistake one time. He says, uh, he says I was calling out people's name, you know, and, and uh, I'd have them stand up. And I'd go, you know, here's a person from Atlanta, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the land of the, you know, the Falcons and Coca-Cola and stand up. And he got one. He says, here's one from Texas. He says, yep, this, this gal here, she's from Texas where everything is bigger. And she stood up, and, and she was. And he said, whoops, <laughs> don't, don't have him stand up. Okay, well, everyone with a halo, please stand up. Well, all of us want to stay seated, but here, here's kind of the beautiful, the beautiful image that's given here is a halo is a circle, and it's meant to signify what? An unbroken promise, Right? And so those who come underneath the unbroken promise of the seed that will come, those who trust in Jesus, both in the Old Testament period and the New Testament period, all of those people really are represented by the 24 who are seated upon the throne. Now, how do we know that? Just look at what they're wearing and what they're doing. Just look at it. It says, doesn't it, that they are clothed in white. Who gets clothed in white? Well, we already saw it all the way back in chapter 3, if you go to uh, verse number 5. Remember what Jesus said to those who were uh, part of the church in Sardis? In verse number 5, he says this, the one who conquers will be clothed in white garments. Back when he was say, speaking to the church in Sardis, he says, if you overcome, if you conquer what? How do you conquer? Can you conquer the devil? No. How do you conquer? Through the promise of Jesus. Can you conquer death? No. How do you conquer death? Through the promise of Jesus. He says, for that person who conquers, you'll be clothed in white. So we, we get up into heaven and who do we see? Those who have conquered, all of those who have conquered, namely all of those who believe in Jesus Christ, Old Testament period and New Testament uh, period combined. They're wearing golden crowns. Where did we see that? Same same, um, chapter, different verse. Now we see it as he's speaking to the church in Philadelphia. And remember in verse number 11 what he says. Verse 11, he says, I'm coming soon. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The crown is the sign of victory. 
the golden crown, the sign of his victory. Who wears that? Those who have overcome sin, death, and the devil. Those who come underneath the promise of Jesus Christ. Those 24 thrones are all people who died back either in the Old Testament period or the New Testament period. Okay, What are they doing? They're seating on thrones. They're ruling with Jesus. Does that make sense to you? Well, yeah, because it's already been stated in chapter 3, verse 21. If you go over to what he said to the church in Laodicea, in verse 21, he says, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered, and sat down with my father on his throne. Okay. And remember, all of those words are meant to point us to what's currently happening in heaven and what will happen on new earth. He is saying, all of those who trust in the promise of Jesus Christ, who seated on the throne serving as our high priest, will be in heaven, seated on the throne with God. In other words, you're under his rule. When I'm seated, if I'm sitting and, and ruling with you, what you want, what the king wants, I want. What the king desires, I desire. All right, and, and so he's saying, you, when you're in heaven, your desire becomes the same as that of the... There we go. So what he's trying to say is, um, I want you, I want you to, to know that I'm in control, I'm serving you in grace, and, and here's what heaven looks like, is people who've gone before you who are now just desiring what God desires, okay? Okay. Um, by the way, I just, I'm just going to say this on the side is, I, what, I, what I always appreciate about some of these pictures is, to me, they help correct some of the foolish ideas that we have about heaven. Um, you know, when we talk about heaven as Christians, so many people talk about it as, as the final resting place. And so we try to make it into kind of a, a paradise of our own doing, Right? We'll say, well, when we get to heaven, whatever you love, whatever you love doing, I'm going to get to do that all day long, right? So if you love fishing, right, I'm going to fish all day. If I love golfing, see, that would be hell to me. You're going to be like, hey, you're going to golf. Luke, you're going to golf all day long. No, not golf, Lord. Please not golf. Yeah, oh, yeah, you're going to golf. So, no, I don't want to golf. So, um, but, but the reality is, always remember this, is that, that heaven is is really what we call heaven is really a in between place. It is is not our final resting place, and uh, what what is our final resting place is new earth, a physical earth that we'll be a part of and beyond. Uh, and so, when you're in heaven, what are you doing? Well, what he's really saying is your your will is what God's will is, and and I still believe uh, that when we experience heaven. Uh, I've said this one other. I really, this is just my opinion. All right, just, I can't support it in the Bible, but I really feel like it will feel like this, time-wise, because we experience we experience time in an earthly way, and uh, in heaven there is no time. Uh, in in essence, eternity has begun. It's timeless, and so how you experience time, you know, the Bible will say for God, you know, a day is like a thousand years. Okay. Uh, so I really believe that, that our experience of heaven is not this long, dragged out, oh, when is it going to come, Lord, when is it going to, it's more like that, and then the end comes, uh, because it's, 
you, all you'll see in heaven when you get these corrected ideas given to us is you see people whose will is that of God's. God, bring the end. Bring the last person to faith and then bring it to an end. And that's, that's really what, what John is seeing here is until that end comes, just know that I, I your God, am in control. Okay, now, last part of this, verse 5. From the throne, this is kind of cool, cool, are coming flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. Okay, why is that significant? Where have we seen that before? From the throne are coming flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. Okay, well, these words are kind of cool. Lightning is coming down, rumblings. I think we got a little rumbling here in Grand Island yesterday, last night. We had a little bit of that sky going like that. And then finally, that rumbling turns into thunder. And I always love this when I'm reading, when I'm reading my Greek Bible. The word for thunder is uh, brontai. And so it's the word that we use to describe a brontosaurus, right? So the literal definition of a brontosaurus is what? A thunder lizard, right? And I've always kind of wondered, haven't you guys ever wondered this? I mean, my mind goes on these little trips. I'm like, I, re- I kind of wonder really, what did a brontosaurus sound like? I mean, was it a thunder? Did you ever see that guy Mike Tyson fight? I mean, he looks like thunder, right? He's like, bam, 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 bam. They get done with the fight. They get the microphone in front of them. And they're like, say a few words to us, Mike. He goes, well, I really like that. <laughs> What if a brontosaurus was like that? You know, here comes this big lizard. He's like, Wah! whoa, you're supposed to be the thunder lizard. And you're like, Wah! all right. So, um, yeah, here it's actually bronti. It's boom, thunder. And the picture of it actually is meant to say something again. It's, if you look at it, all of the little details in this are meant to communicate a message, Right. So as I, John, I'm looking at this and I'm taking a deep breath in, here's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing the king seated upon the throne. Those who've died are now, they're, they're safe and sound right with him, desiring his will. I see the promise, the rainbow. Um, and now I hear this thunder and these rumblings. Where did they come from? Well, you see him back in Exodus 19. And in Exodus 19, remember, there was a guy by the name of Moses. And what has happening in Moses' life in Exodus number 19 is he's having to go up onto this mountain. It's called Mount Sinai. And it's just before Moses is getting ready to receive what? The words of life, the Ten Commandments that we see this little picture of what Sinai was like at that time. And here's what it says in verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. What is this picture supposed to say to us? Well, it's a picture of the law. From the throne come flashes of lightning, rumblings, the sound of thunder, the same sound that Moses and the people of Israel heard as he got ready to come up on that, on that mountain. Here's what he's saying. This king, who is your high priest, promised to fulfill the law on your behalf. 
You are no longer under the law. You're under his grace. There are people who are under his law. That's why there's still thunder and grumbling and lightning. And so what he's going to say to you, remember church, what your job is? Go and help those people who are under the law because it will do what? It will kill them. Come underneath the promise of Jesus Christ. See how the picture works? It's simply meant to give you this picture of Jesus Christ and in a very short, if I were drawing it, all the colors in it, all the symbols in it, the rainbow, the colors, are meant to speak to me this very simple message. The king seated on the throne is a high priest who fulfilled the law of God and completed his promise. Come underneath that promise and you will live with him, what? Forever you will rule with him. You will have dominion on the new earth. And so what John is being told is, John, just breathe. Just breathe. Everything is fine. The king is on his throne. And now, until that day that he comes again, you will be at work, along with the churches, bringing people underneath the promise of Jesus Christ. It continues, it says, Before the throne there were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Okay? Um, so, so prominent in this picture is the, the, the symbols that we typically see in the Jewish uh, temple of the seven torches, right, or the sevenfold candle stand, always meant to, to point to, right, Jesus Christ, the seven does. The oil that makes up the, the, the light, the fire from the torches, is the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. And so it's another way of me saying to you that during this time period, the Holy Spirit is at work in the world, seeking to but bring people underneath this promise of Jesus Christ. And this next part is really interesting to me. Um, kind of follow this. And it says, And before the throne, there, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. So, I get the throne, I get the thunder, I, get to, I see the colors. Now I look down, and it's like a, a crystal glass piece that's separating heaven and earth. Why do we have that glassy sea? Why do we have a glassy sea? Okay. Um, two thoughts here that are, are equally interesting to me. The first thought is the thalassia, the sea, in the Greek world was representative, symbolic of sin. And um, so the color of the sea is always black, darkness and death. Okay? Here, the color is changed from black, darkness and death to what? Clear, white. You can see through it. And so what, what it's a picture of is, is spoken very plainly of in Revelation 21 when that new earth comes, guess what Jesus tells us? There will be no more sin, no more death, no more dying. That sin has been taken away through the promise of Jesus Christ. Equally kind of interesting to me is this idea that uh, when you ask the question, does God look down upon all that is happening in this world? The answer is 
Yes, he sees all that's happening in this world. That what separates, there's a separation, right? There is a separation between us and, and God and heaven. That's why the door had to open for John to go into it. Um, but there's, there's a separation that still allows God to see all that's going on in the world. Now, question that I get asked by, isn't it true kids ask the hardest questions? Okay, so God can see what's going on here on earth. What about grandma? What about grandma and grandpa? Can they see what's going on down here on earth? Because that sea is glass, right? Pretty good question, isn't it? Now, the, the evil side of me, not that there is an evil side of me, but <laughs> the evil side of me always likes to answer that question, Absolutely, Grandma can see exactly what's going on. Now, why would I want to say that? <laughs> Grandma's watching you. Is Grandma really watching me? Because that's a, bad, that's a bad scene in my head. But see, is glass. We can see down through it. Well, turn, turn with me. Just kind of look at this. Turn with me over to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16. And just remember this scene with me. And it's kind of an interesting scene, beginning in, in verse number 19, you get this story that's always been helpful to me of, of how, how is there interaction between the heavens, right? People who are in heaven, people who are on earth, and let me take it a step further, people who are in hell. Because as much as we're getting to see these 24 thrones, the people who have trusted in the promise of Jesus, guess what? There's another dimension called hell where there exists people who did not trust in the promise of Jesus Christ. So what is the relationship of all of these groups of people? Well, here's what it says in Luke. Verse number 19 says, There was a rich man. He was clothed in purple and fine linen. He feasted sumptuously every single day. At his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side, to heaven. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, hell, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. So he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. One of the more clear pictures of hell. But Abram said, Child, remember that in your lifetime, he received good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all of this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. Okay. Prevailing theory. Prevailing theory, okay? Part of what it means to be in hell is to be able to see what you could have had and know that you'll never experience it. Part of being in hell. Spirit can see spirit. 
flesh cannot see spirit. So while people in hell can see heaven, and people in heaven, hell, can a human being see these two dimensions? No. And so while there is a glass sea that separates the heaven from the earth, those who've died and are now spirit are able to see spirit. Do they see human beings and what's going on here on earth? Prevailing thought? No. Prevailing thought? Grandma is not sitting up in heaven watching you. Grandma is seated on a throne, and guess what grandma's will is exactly what Jesus' will is. I will, I desire that the end will come. That's it. And so I don't think it's a good thing to say to kids, Grandma is watching you. <laughs> as much as that might have some real leverage at times, um, I don't think it's an honest picture of what's going on. Uh, there is this sea that separates, uh, but it is not meant uh, to, to give us an idea that people are looking down upon other people. People are looking at Jesus. Their whole focus is on Jesus. There's a worshiping of him that goes on. And one more time, here's what I believe. Just like that. And then the end comes. And for us, we don't experience it that way. Our minds think in temporal fashion. So we think, boy, it took Jesus a long time to come into this world. And it's taken a long time till the end comes. For, for God and Jesus, all of it. This whole age passes that quickly. And so it makes you come back to this one simple question. And I'm going to say it the way a friend of mine just said it to me here a couple of weeks ago. He says, Luke, I want you to think of this. Think of walking up to the ocean. And you take a cup out. And you look out over the expanse of this whole body of water. You can't see the end. And so you dip your cup into that, that ocean and you withdraw one single drop. Now look into the cup. That one sim single drop represents your 80 years of life here in this world. The vastness of the ocean, eternity to come. And then this question, what will you do with your drop? And uh, I just, I've been thinking about that over the last you know, number of weeks that we have such a short time. And, uh, and then we go and we are present with God. And then the end will come. And we await that. We call for it. We say, come, let it come. Let that end come, even as those who've gone before us uh, do the same. All right. We'll close there and pick up the creatures that um, John gets to see when we come back next week. Let's pray.